to be virtually together. Um, what a year. Woo! 2020, baby. We made it. We survived. Um, and as I reflected, I, I mean, I had so many things that, honestly, I wanted to preach about. So many things I wanted to kind of like center us on as we began uh, a new year. Uh, one of the things that I, I saw kind of coming up, not only in myself, but in others, is just kind of the feelings that we had towards 2020 or still have. Like, I was secretly expecting December 32nd uh, to happen on the calendar, you know, like, and it not actually turn into 2021. Um, but many of us, we feel as if 2020 was kind of a throwaway year, right? Like, it's kind of like we're coming out of a weird dream. It's kind of like, did that really, did that really happen? What, what was that? Kind of, uh, I mean, growing up boxing and doing all sorts of martial arts, it's like uh, sometimes you get your bell rung in the middle of a fight and you don't remember entire rounds of the fight. Uh, it's kind of like that. Like 2020 was just like one big long round where our bell was rung and we didn't really know what in the world was going on. And many of us are feeling quite happy to leave 2020 behind. And if we're honest and just kind of reflect and take stock on the year, it's, it's, it's actually a year that really was marked by a lot of frustration, I think, a lot of unrest, a lot of conflict, a lot of division inside and outside the church, uh, stress and loss, disappointment and anxiety and worry, and a lot of anger, I think. There's a lot of anger that came out, and, and some of it very justified, but a lot of it misdirected and misplaced. And I also noticed this year, we all kind of thankfully experienced a bit of a, a crisis of thought as we navigated the year. We kind of saw a challenge of how we think, a challenge of how we process what is going on outside of us and around us, but also inside of us, and how we can actually think critically and clearly about all that really did happen. We saw our worldview and our opinions and our perspectives kind of challenged. We saw beliefs and convictions and our patterns interrupted. We had a lot of normal stripped away from us and taken away from insulating us. And because of that, we felt pressures. We felt some pressures mentally and emotionally. We felt pressure spiritually. We, we saw pressures happening outside of the church in our culture that inevitably affected us inside the church. And if we're just honest about 2020 and just take a look at it and survey it, we definitely got to see some of the best and worst of humanity. It disrupted our lives in the best ways and in the worst ways. And there's a lot of redeemable things about last year. A lot of redeemable things if we just slow down and look. I think there's a lot of ways that we actually grew. There's a lot of ways that individually we grew. There's a lot of ways that culturally the church grew in how we consider things and how we interact with the church. But I think I can speak for most of us. It leaves us in either one of two places when we look at 2020. Either we're really happy it's over and we're feeling relieved and we're feeling encouraged and we're ready, right? So it's like we're flexing, we're ready to go. 2021 is here, new goals. We're gonna learn from last year. We're gonna move into this year. Now, I haven't seen anybody say that 2021 is their year yet. I haven't seen anybody say that 2020 is gonna be their best year or that they're gonna see their best self. I haven't seen that. But some of us are at least feeling encouraged, thinking at least 2020 is done. There's something meaningful about the calendar changing one number and I can go into this new year and think differently. Some of us are feeling like that. But others of us are feeling like it's meaningless and arbitrary to celebrate New Year's. Yay, we made it around the sun one more time, right? The calendar changed numbers. We revolved, right? But it's the same circumstances. It's the same COVID. It's the same me. It's the same stress. It's just, so some of us are feeling that sense too. It's like, okay, I know, I understand it's a new year. I understand that it gives me an opportunity to look back and to look forward, but I'm not feeling a lot different. Nothing really has changed. 
Same patterns, same feelings, same posture. Not encouraged, not ready. And so I want to speak to both of us. Feeling both of those things, wherever you are. Because wherever you are on that, maybe you're somewhere in between and that's okay too. But wherever you are on that, New Year's, I always find New Year's as a unique opportunity to do two things simultaneously. And there's not many times in our year where we do this. Okay, some of us do it at our birthday, some of us do it at anniversary, some of us do it in other times of the year. But New Year's gives us all an opportunity at least to do two things at once, and that is look back and look ahead. And it forces us to. Because there's times of, of reflection of like, wow, this past year, this was fill in the blank. But it also forces us to think, and here's what I hope for this year. Here's what I'm thinking about this year. Here's goals and priorities that I want to set this year. So we're doing two things at the same time. We're looking back and we're trying to learn, we're trying to reflect, but then we're also looking forward and trying to hope and, and trying to strive and trying to prioritize. Okay, so it's, it is a unique time of the year. Some of us, we love New Year's. Others of us, we could, we could care less and it just kind of comes and goes. But here's why I want to convince you that New Year's is actually a helpful time of the year for us as followers of Jesus especially. Because it's helpful because it reminds us, every single year it reminds us that something has to change. You with me on that? It reminds us every year that progress still has to be made, that there are still challenges to overcome, that there is still brokenness that needs to be healed, that there is still things that need restoration and renewal. Now that's an important reminder for us as the church, as followers of Jesus. It's very, very important. And the reason why I think this is important is because we are story-shaped, right? We're story-shaped people. We can't help it. We tell stories to make sense of our life. We're meaning-makers of our daily lives. That's what we are. We're wired to do that. We can't help it. So a lot of us, we want to make sense of things. Like, we want to make sense of 2020. It's just like, I don't know what that was, but it just kind of went, it felt like the Matrix a little bit. But I kind of want to make sense of it, even though my brain might bleed a little bit as I try to make sense of it, Right? Like that's kind of what 2020 is feeling, but we can't help ourselves, but try to locate it, try to position it, place 2020 somewhere in the grand narrative and story that we find ourselves embedded in. And then we turn the corner and we think from, from the macro level down to the micro and we start thinking more about like New Year's resolutions. And New Year's resolutions really are just habits and practices that we're committing to make changes, Right? And some of you are big New Year's resolution people, some of you, you're not, but it is helpful to sit to be silent, to be quiet, to rest, to be still. And actually take this time of the year and chart a path forward in relationship to how we can look back and learn. And New Year's resolutions are just a commitment to that, to how we're gonna take stock of our time and our energy and our finances and, and our stewardship and our careers and our studies and everything. Just kind of relook at everything, reevaluate, and then set goals and set new habits, set new rhythms. Now, usually habit is a negative thing, right? You just kind of got to break this habit. And sometimes in New Year's, there's some habits that we want to break, right? Uh, there's the COVID-25 that we want to kind of get rid of, right? Uh, there's some other habits that we want to shed. That's true. But habits aren't negative. Habits are actually just simply repeated actions that shape and structure our daily lives. Growing up, my parents always said, how you spend a day is how you spend your life. That was an important reminder, and it still is. How you spend your day is ultimately what is going to make up. That's a drop in the bucket of what is going to make up your life at the end. So a day matters. Today matters. Every day matters. Because how we spend, the habits that we form, the rhythms that we live within day to day are ultimately what our life is going to be made up of. And every single one of us are formed by our habits. Every single one of us are formed. And, and the habits that we 
live by and reinforce, whether they're good or bad, ultimately show us what we're giving our time and energy and attention to. And what you and I give our attention to is what shapes us most. So it's good to set goals. It's good to re-examine. It's good at this time of year to slow down and actually say, I need to cut out blank. I need less of blank, and I need to add more of blank. I want to have more of this, whatever it is. Now, these goals can be, you know, physical. They can be about diet and eating and sleeping and resting and reading and, and learning a hobby. It can be all sorts of things, but... What happens often is that we do that external piece, that behaviors, is I'm gonna list all the behaviors I'm gonna do differently. And then we're left still mentally and emotionally and spiritually and relationally without a lot of, of, of real goals and real rhythms to move forward with. So here's what I say this year about some of us before we jump into kind of what we're gonna look at today. As you think about 2021, I mean, we have 362 days left of it, right? <laughs> As you think about this year, make sure that your goals and your habits and your rhythms if you want to call them resolutions, make sure that your resolutions actually stretch you and scare you. So often we set resolutions that only ride on us doing them, our own efforts. And then what do we do? Well, we fail, like, like 11 days into the year, right? We've already failed. And then we're like, oh, I have like a lot of days left of this year to be disappointed in myself, right? Anyone? Not, right? Not just me, right? Okay, so that, that, that's really what we do. But here's the thing. Set resolutions and pray into, and think into, and hope into things that you actually need to trust God for. That you actually need his grace for. Not just things that you're going to do. Because too often we set those, and then they depend entirely on us doing them. And then we are reminded that we not, we're not disciplined, that we are lazy, that we're still broken, that we're still sinners. And then we fall and fail, and then we're back at the same place next year. So that's a false hope. But if we pray into and plan into goals and, and, and hopes that are big enough that we can't do them without God, I promise you 2021 will, will change how you see things. Because he is faithful. And because if there's anything about 2020 that we can learn and look back on is to see that God truly was the helper and the grace provider and the forgiver of sin and the one who is pursuing and wooing broken people to himself like he always has and always will. And that's what we gotta lean into this year. So here's one thing I have found most helpful. Uh, over the holidays, I tried to journal a lot, tried to set new reading goals, um, ambitious reading goals that are gonna require me to read like a ton more than I normally do, and I already read a lot. Uh, but I set new goals. I, I wanna lose my COVID-15 uh, that I put on. I wanna do all sorts of things. But here's what I found most helpful. I found it most helpful to sit down, to slowly, quietly reflect and meditate and take stock on all of the major events of 2020. So not ignore them, not like, like know that they're there, but like don't make eye contact with them, but like look at them straight in the face, look at all the major things that happened this year and ask this question. What did this do to my heart? What did that event draw out of me? What did it, what did it pull out of my heart? Because there are so many things that pulled stuff out of us this year, good and bad, healthy and not but it revealed a lot about the state of our heart and our mind. It exposed us. It challenged us. It challenged beliefs. It challenged ideologies. It challenged perspectives. It challenged our view of others. And so that is the most helpful question that I have found over these last couple of weeks as I've prayed into this year. And I'm gonna commit this year to, to really sit and go, Lord, like what has this done to me? 
What, is these, what have these things, these major events, what do you want me to learn about me and my heart and my mind in kind of just to bear with you, just wide open with you? Because if we're honest, church, if the only thing you're bringing into 2021 is that you're glad 2020 is over, you're missing something. And if the only thing you're bringing into 2021 is who you disagree with or what you're against or what you're for, you've missed something. Because I actually think 2020 has a lot to teach us. A lot to teach us. There's events that, are, that have happened that are, not, that are still happening, okay? Like I saw somebody last week say, even when the pandemic has slowed down and is over, we should still wear masks. I was like, how about you leave that in 2020 or like in the garbage? That'd be good. Just put that in the garbage, right? Like there's just all sorts of weird things that are gonna carry us, follow us into 2021. There's gonna be all sorts of weirdness that is still gonna be here. So just looking at the calendar and hoping that 2021 is gonna be a better year for the sake of whatever, I don't know, from some magical unicorn power, I don't know, that's not going to do it for us. We need to learn from last year and we need to move forward, refreshed, reevaluating. Right, exposing our hearts and our minds so that we can actually be healthier because of it. We can actually be strengthened because of it. So I'm gonna focus on one thing today that I want us to really focus on. One thing, okay, as, as a community, as a church. But before we do that, I thought it was helpful. I always, I, I, I struggle to look back and celebrate, just be honest. Like I, sometimes I really struggle to look back. Okay, so I'm just kind of, I'm a forward moving guy. Like I'm forward thinking. Looking back is not super helpful for me. Uh, there's things in my past that aren't super helpful. There's things about my, um, my own story that aren't super helpful. And, and it's, the past to me is a place of pain, right? So I just tend to like, I just want to move forward. But here's what I've done. This year, I thought it was really helpful to sit and actually go, let's look back. Let's look back and revisit some of the wins and celebrate some of the even, even small victories that we had as a community, as a church family, okay? So I'm gonna remind you just of a couple things. In 2020, we had several teaching series that we went through, okay? And again, be, feel free to just kind of like pray into this, lean into this and think through like what had all of these things done to your heart? What did they draw out of us? So we had our series at the beginning of last year, Feel Free, which was pretty timely considering we didn't have a lockdown. We didn't have any of the emotional and mental health stuff that, that followed. But we had a whole series looking at emotionally healthy spirituality, looking at the connection between our life with Jesus and our interior lives, kind of like opening up the, the hood of our life and looking into our thought world and our, our feelings, our, our emotional world. Then we looked at generosity in the series called Money Talks, Jesus and Money. And we looked specifically, again, very timely, right in the middle of, of job loss and, and struggles and layoffs and all sorts of things. So God was in his providence helping us kind of prepare and prime us for what we saw for the rest of the year. But we got to practice generosity and look at what Jesus teaches about stewardship. Then, fittingly, we kind of pivoted and did a whole series going through First Peter, a series called Hope for Exiles. And we looked at the strangeness of Christians and the strangeness of the church in a culture that is fundamentally different. And we looked at how to actually live on mission and faithfully in a culture that's different while we are in exile, as exiles following Jesus. Then next, we looked at a series over the summer called Scripture, God's Word, Our Lives. And that was an important one because in the midst of all sorts of events happening and all sorts of misinformation, all sorts of post-truth cultural things and social media everything and not knowing who to trust, we leaned into God's word and got to see how scripture is the real source of trust and how we can see and understand who God is. Then in the fall, we jumped into a series on the Trinity looking at the identity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and look specifically at how we relate to the Trinitarian God, how we relate differently to Father, Son, and Spirit, how God operates as one but in three 
persons. And then our last series of the year, not including Christmas, of course, was the parables of Jesus, looking specifically at the stories that Jesus told and looking specifically at what the kingdom looks like and how Jesus told stories to invite us into his story. Now, that's a lot. We accomplished a lot. We got through a lot. And I think that I've seen, again, spiritually, a lot of growth in us as a church throughout these series. That God actually used this season to teach us things and equip us with tools that we needed to navigate some of the things that were going on this year. And I hope to carry that into next year. We also got to see several other things happen this year. We got to figure out a live stream. That's cool. We got to figure out how to do two services. We may still have to do that. Uh, we had zero COVID cases in our church family. It's a big deal. That's good. It's worth celebrating. Uh, we had a ton of people step up and serve and give of themselves and their time and their energy to things. We saw ministries start to get formed. We start to at least dream about how ministries can be in the future once we're able to actually execute on some of those things. We hired an executive assistant, Linda Mansurian, who is doing an amazing job to hold this church together. And last but certainly not least, we finally have a team of qualified elders. Yes. The church is only as healthy as its leadership. And it's been a long road for us as a church over the last couple of years. And so that is a huge milestone that for, for Steve and John and I to actually be together as a team of pastors and shepherd and care for our church. That is only going to lead to health qualitatively and health quantitatively as we continue to grow. As we continue to go deeper and mature as disciples, but also as we go out and continue to make disciples. So continue to pray for us. We actually meet this week to kind of just figure out 2021 and to set all sorts of prayer and hopes and goals for this year. So pray for us as we do that because of course that affects you. <laughs> for better or for worse, you're stuck with us now, right? Also, we saw a lot of financial support go out of our church. We participated in supporting seven new church plants during COVID with the Reach Canada initiative and what's happening across Canada with Acts 29. We also were able to um, support the Beirut relief after the explosion in Lebanon and give thousands of dollars towards the assistance on the ground there to care for people and rebuild and restructure. Um, and uh, we also, last week, we sent an email letting you guys know that at the end of the year, we we're about $20,000 off from our, our, our budget. And we made up half of that in three days. That was you. Like you did that. We made up half of our annual deficit in a matter of three days. Some of us did it in hours. It was almost done within a day. Okay, so church, listen, God is still at work. God is still providing. God is still calling us to faithfully steward what he's given us. Still calling us to invest in the life of the church so that the church can continue to do the work and be on mission as the church. And that is all really, really good news. All right, so we could celebrate that stuff. That's just a quick overview. There's so many other things that we could talk about and celebrate. But now I just wanna look forward into 2021 and give you an idea of some of the things that we're hoping into and praying into. Some of the teaching series that we're starting off with right at the beginning of the year. Our first teaching series is called Equipped, looking at the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Now, a lot of us, when we did the Trinity series, we were really, really interested in how forgotten the Holy Spirit is. And for some of us, you're like, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want to learn more about how to relate to the Holy Spirit. I want to know about who the Holy Spirit is and the relationship that I'm supposed to have as a follower of Jesus. And so what we did is we, we compact all of that into one series. And we're going to be looking specifically at who the Holy Spirit is and how he gifts his church to do the work and be on mission for the sake of the gospel. So that's going to be a fun series. Nothing controversial will happen in that series at all. I promise. <laughs> Next. <laughs> 
Why not? Why not just start the year with something that could just lead to church splits? It's just a good year. 2021, baby. Let's do it. Next, uh, go therefore. Looking at mission in the book of Acts. Now listen, if it was up to me, and it kind of is, but not entirely, I would spend the next three years just in the book of Acts. Because there has been nothing that has given me consolation more than the book of Proverbs and the book of Acts over this last year. Because Book of Acts, if there's anything that we need right now is we need to actually get into the blueprint of what the church is, who the church is, how the church lives in weird things and weird places and weird stages, okay? And the book of Acts does that. So what we're gonna do is we're not gonna study it verse by verse. What we are gonna do is highlight major passages where it describes mission, right? The DNA of the church and what mission actually looks like, okay? Other series that I'm praying on and thinking on that the, 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 our, our pastors, our pastoral team will decide is I really want to spend some time this year looking at as disciples how we are to think critically and engage things well when we disagree. Because there's a lot of issues and topics that brought about disagreement and some of us didn't really even know how to engage those things. And so rather than jump to the issues themselves and look at some of the major events and look at some of the topics, I think what, what I would love to do is have a, a chance as a church is to disciple our minds and give us tools on how to go about critically processing and thinking through things so that when it comes to specific issues and topics and events and interpretations of scripture or whatever it is, we know how to go about that. Okay, and I know some of you have, have already brought that to me and you've been really encouraged and excited about that because social media and post-truth culture that we live in and, and, and honestly, all social media does is offers you confirmation bias, right? That's all it does. It doesn't actually help you think critically because you can just follow who you want, only who you want. You can cut out anybody that you don't agree with and then you can just live in this little bubble, this kind of echo chamber in isolation with confirmation bias everywhere. And then you can choose what podcasts you listen to, what YouTubers you watch, what pastors you follow, what books you read and you can just choose everyone who agrees with you. We need to do better than that. We need to actually look and think theologically and think deeply and think biblically about things that are happening in our culture so that we can engage them well and ultimately bring glory to God. So that's what we're, we're moving towards. And as far as a book, I would love to get into either Proverbs this year or 2 Corinthians. Uh, Proverbs, obviously, just because we need to learn how to be quiet sometimes uh, and be wise. Uh, it's just a great thing that we need. Uh, 2 Corinthians, because the church is a train wreck uh, and Paul's speaking to them about some really important things. I'm not saying you're a train wreck. I'm just saying we are. Okay, um, we always are. That's why we need Second Corinthians, amen? Um, but Paul speaks to a lot of really, really interesting, really important, timely things in that letter to the church that really would be helpful for us. So pray for us. I love feedback and suggestions for things that you are thinking like, hey, Pastor Dustin, is there any way that we could look at this? And, and, and it's no, no promises that it's gonna make it into a series from the pulpit, but one of the things we really do wanna see this year is like workshops and like teaching series, like, over and above, like extracurricular, kind of lecture series or whatever, and try our best way to find a way to continue to engage some of these things, okay? So that's one, one way that we want to approach that. Another thing this year is we have some baptisms and some baby dedications uh, that we need to get through. Like, people had babies. Uh, that's great. Uh, we got some people want to be baptized because they're, they're baby Christians, and that's great. Uh, we also want to look at the growth and focus and mission of our city groups this year. And we also want to finally officially welcome new members into our church family who have already come through the first stage of membership and um, that orientation about kind of, hey, here's what Reach Montreal is. Here's what it looks like to be a part of, 
us, all right? That's a small sample of some of the things that we're looking forward to. Another thing, last, is some events. And I know COVID, but we're just gonna ignore that for a second, figure out the best way we can. But uh, men's and, and women's events, specifically to get our, our, our guys and our gals together, as well as young adult and some youth events and being really intentional about um, stewarding that and helping continue to grow and shape um, who God's given us as a church, all right? Good? So with all of that in mind, rapid fire coming at you, here's the important part. All of that in mind, we look at 1 Samuel 7. We look at one verse in particular. I'll give you a little bit of context about 1 Samuel and kind of where it lands in the canon of Scripture. If you, know, if you remember, God shows up, right, rescues Israel from slavery out of Egypt. He brings them into the promised land. And then he gives them the law to help structure and protect how to live life with him and for him. And that's followed by a period of the judges. Now, the period of the judges is an interesting thing because it's a whole bunch of train wreck leaders with a couple half-decent ones, right? So they just continue to kind of choose leaders that are terrible. And then there's a couple decent, good, few ones. But really, what ensues throughout the period of the judges is just moral chaos and a whole bunch of disobedience. And it's just this wicked cycle of Israel of just disobedience, turning to other objects of worship, turning their back on Yahweh, and then realizing that that's a disaster, returning and repenting, coming back to Yahweh. And it's just this cycle. Wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over again. Then we see Israel move into this stage where we have prophet Samuel. So enter Samuel into the equation. Samuel comes onto the scene when the priests are doing a terrible job. So like Eli's family, they're a disaster. So a prophet has to step up. And there's something important in that for us. Often in the church, when the priests aren't doing a good job to shepherd and care for the people, prophets have to step up, right? And I think we've seen that this year, that there's been some prophetic voices actually need to step up and speak into and speak out on some issues that are extremely important that shepherds and caregivers of the, the, the people of God have not been speaking about. And that's really important, okay? And so what happens here, Samuel has to step up and speak and lead because there's a vacuum of leadership. And then God is allowing this group called the Philistines to harass Israel as a judgment because they just constantly turn to other things and not worship Yahweh. But in that judgment, what's interesting is that God allows the Philistines to harass Israel to also woo Israel back to him. And that there's this vacuum there. And then Samuel enters. Watch what Samuel says 1 Samuel 7, we'll go 3 and 4 and then 12. And Samuel said all this to the house of Israel. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods, the idols, and the Ashtaroth from among you, that's just a, a particular God, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And then he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Only, skip down to verse 12, watch this. Then Samuel, after the, the victory over the Philistines, okay, that was quick, took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen, two, two locations, and he called it Ebenezer. For he said, until now, up till now, the Lord has helped us. Okay, so this is really important and here's how we're gonna apply it. Understand that this Ebenezer thing, we sing about it, right? Sometimes we sing about it at Christmas and come thou fount, right? And we're gonna sing that again today. But Ebenezer is kind of like this, well, I don't know what an Ebenezer is, but I raise it, you know, <laughs> it's like in the song. It's like, okay, I'll raise um, here's, here's where that comes from. There's a few different mentions of the word Ebenezer in Hebrew. This is the only time it refers to the stone. So this is an Ebenezer stone. And what it means is the stone of help. More literally in the Hebrew, it actually means the helper is a stone. The helper is a rock, 
And so what's happening there is that, is that Samuel goes and sets up this stone between two places to commemorate the fact that God has shown up, flexed his arm again, was mighty, released them from the Philistines harassing them, and has called them to return to himself as a result. But notice a couple things, okay? We'll just highlight two things. Notice that the, when Samuel calls them to repentance, the return to the Lord and the repentance that they experience it involves inward and outward elements. It's both inward and outward. So notice the wording. Inward, turn back to the Lord with all your heart. But then it's outward. So put away your idols. Put away your false gods. So there's something that happens here. This is what repentance means. Okay, I know we repent and repentance in some circles gets a bad rap, but it's the most beautiful thing we could ever experience because all repentance is, is a change of heart internally knowing that what we're giving ourselves over to that is mastering us is actually destroying us, that it's not ultimately redeeming us, saving us and rescuing us. So that's an internal change, a, a coming kind of to ourself, realizing that I need to turn around and go a different direction. And then I repent and I go in that other direction. But in that process of repenting, I'm actually putting away those other objects that will distract and detract from true worship of God. That's what repentance is. And we see that happen at a national level here. And Steve opened with another passage in a different place when Israel also experiences that national level repentance. That there's a humility of heart that happens first and then there's actual external signs of repentance happening. Some of us sit on one, or one of those two. Where it's like it's all about just physical behavior modification. That's what repentance is. Others of us just kind of hang out. It's like, well, no, I'm just going to wait until I actually feel it. Then I'll do something. It's like, no, no, no. Repentance is both and, and they're simultaneous. That there's a heart change. There's something internally that happens. And then I actively turn away from things and to things. Second observation. Unlike other places in the Old Testament, where God actually tells Israel to set up stones and altars and things to commemorate certain things, Samuel's not asked to do this. So altars that are commanded, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, uh, Gideon, they're all commanded to set something up to commemorate it, to say, the Lord did this, set this thing up so that no one can forget it, so that everyone can remember that this was done. But God doesn't ask Samuel to do that. He does it for his sake and for the sake of Israel so that they remember what God has done so that they don't forget. The first Ebenezer, this was an interesting kind of Hebrew wink for us, but the first use of Ebenezer earlier in Samuel, it's a place, and it's actually the place where the Philistines attacked Israel and took the Ark of the Covenant. And so I think what Samuel's doing here is he's saying, that Ebenezer, Ebenezer was bad. Let's talk about a new one, right? So he sets up the Ebenezer stone to say there's a new thing happening, that God has released us and delivered us from that. Therefore, we can remember what he's done, but also continue to look forward and move into what he is doing. That's what the Ebenezer stone represents. And if we're honest, really, and you look at the scope of scripture and history, the Bible and all of history, is just one long, true, tragic story about people forgetting who they are and whose they are. And then turning and returning and repenting. And it's in this tension that we're invited, I think this year, to look back and to move forward. So, simple takeaway. Simple takeaway today to start our year. What are some Ebenezer Stones that you can lay down to help you remember God's faithfulness. And not necessarily in 2020, 
But take stock of your story. Look back and look for all of the ways that God has worked to pursue you when you're pursuing everything but him. Look at all of the evidence of grace in your life. Look at all the ways that he has been faithful and continued to provide and met you where you needed him most. Don't forget. Remember to remember. Look back so that presently you're reminded of his faithfulness and that is what is gonna give you the fuel to move forward. And maybe you struggle to do that with 2020 and that's okay, but look farther. Look farther back. In 2020, God still provided He still helped. He still was the helper. He still was a rock. He he still is. He always will be. He is unchanging, regardless of what the year brings or has brought. And I do think 2020 had some good things. I mean, there's increased time at home, which it could be good and bad, but there's increased family time. There's increased time to work on things that can be ignored just with like the hustle and bustle of work and and commuting and and chores and all sorts of things. We don't do chores anymore because we don't have to because no one's coming over. It's amazing. Amen. People want to come over and it's just like, you can't. We haven't cleaned since March. I'm just kidding, we have. But there's a lot of things that can cause us and give us space to reflect on 2020, to reflect, to think, to look, to mark some Ebenezer stones. And also, I think this is important. Uh, Ebenezer's also mark where you are but also really do point forward and move us ahead. And I think that that's what is gonna carry us through into this new year, okay? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna leave the personal ones to you. I'm gonna let you this week go into your week, go into prayer, go journal, go do whatever thing you do to be with the Lord. And I'm gonna let you kind of work through that. What are the Ebenezer stones that you think you need to lay down to remember, to remember well, to remember, to remember, to not forget God's faithfulness so that we can continue to move forward into 2021. But here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna look at one major way that I think we can all have one as a church, okay? One major way that God helps and will help, just like the Ebenezer Stone shows, and that is flesh and blood community, okay? Prioritizing and remembering flesh and blood community, real relationships with real people, as a church community. Now, I know COVID makes this more difficult, makes it annoying. I know Zoom makes it annoying. It does not take away from the fact that we need to prioritize flesh and blood community to which we belong. Because throughout the New Testament, 239 times when the word disciple or apprentice or follower of Jesus is used, it's plural. Only 25 times is it singular. So if we think we can singularly follow Jesus, we're wrong. Life in community, life with flesh and blood believers in community is the heart, at the heart of the Christian story. And it's at the heart of the Christian identity. The gospel that we talk about all the time, the gospel that we celebrate, the gospel is the true story about changing who our life belongs to. And that means first and foremost, it belongs to the Lord, but it now also belongs to each other. Real people. I'm convinced And one of the biggest impacts that we can have on our city, on our neighborhood, and on our culture, especially because of COVID, is to actually commit to and practice Christ-centered community well. And persevere. And lean in when we want to lean out. And Zoom when we don't want to. Right? And fight to be creative missionally. To think outside the box of how we can actually be together. Because it is so, so vital and important. But it's also messy. It's beautiful but it's also gonna be messy and annoying, right? Some of us think that we're better off alone, 
but we will not grow. We will not be healthy. We will not be challenged. We will not be able to experience the kind of fellowship and community that God intends for us. And I think two, two ways this changes everything. It changes how we study. Okay, so lots of us, we get to the beginning of the year, like, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, right? And then you skip all sorts of parts, and then you try to do the, you know what's amazing? On the Bible app, you can actually put, like, catch me up. You can like, just hit it, and then it just erases the fact that you haven't read for, like, two months, and it catches you up. I was just like, that's amazing. Maybe terrible, but amazing, right? Like, it's like, catch me up, you know? Uh, but, but here's the thing. If there's one thing you and I need more in 2021, it's more of God's word. It's more of daily meditation. It's more of daily reminders of who God is and what God says about himself. And that we would be shaped by his word. Because there's lots of words, all sorts of words that are gonna be used this year. There's all sorts of words that were used last year that are gonna come in and try to compete and shape us and form us. But we need more than anything is more of God's word. A true story about who God is, the lengths he has gone to rescue us and what he has accomplished for us in the person, work, and work of Christ. That's what we need. So hear me pastorally and lovingly, without regular, daily, habitual study of God's word. You will not grow. You will not be changed. You will not do better. You will not fight sin. You will not make a difference. And you will not experience the presence and power of God. You won't. You do everything else and miss this and everything else comes falling down. Okay? So here's what I would say. I'm gonna send an email tomorrow. I'm gonna send it out. It's just gonna be a simple Bible in a year reading plan. You can jump on it. We can read it together as a church. Or if you have your other way of doing it and you're creative and you like to journal and do calligraphy, do that, okay? But make sure that it comes with a serious commitment habitually. Now I'm telling you, it takes 15 minutes, baby. 15 minutes. We spend two hours a day on other stuff that doesn't matter, okay? 15 minutes just to open up God's word, to invite the spirit of God so that we can understand the word of God and be changed into more like the Christ that God has, has came and rescued us with, okay? That's what we need. Also, don't just study alone, okay? So now, here's the thing. This is really important, then we're done, okay? We've turned kind of private and personal devotion into the way to be a Christian. But Scripture in and of itself is a library of writings written by community for a community. We need each other. Like, like we need varied knowledge and experience and perspectives and lenses into scripture to actually hermeneutically apply it and exegetically get at it and all of the other amazing theological words that you all love, okay? We need each other to do that. We need one another. We need people that come along that think different, that have different perspectives, different experiences, different levels of knowledge about theology, different questions that they're asking about the text. Without those people in your life, it is so easy to stay in your echo chamber, to think that your interpretation of every text is canon. It's gospel. It is your interpretation. And look, all the people online agree with me, right? Therefore, it must be the interpretation. Without community, you cannot study properly. You cannot grow. You will not grow. Matt Smethurst, an amazing book about scripture, wrote this. Listen, it is imperative, vital, that we approach scripture with others in the context of a diverse community. So diversity of thought, diversity of ethnicity, diversity of life experiences, diversity of ages, all of that diversity. Otherwise, our own experiences will limit us. Our preferences will govern us and our biases will blind us. We desperately need other Christians. Ideally, those who are different from us, 
to function in our lives as both barrier setters and barrier removers, simultaneously keeping us from reading wrongly and freeing us to read wisely. Some of us only read scripture and studied and questioned and worked through stuff by ourselves with people on the internet this year. We need to do better. We need to do better. We need to do it in community. In the West, we've turned private prayer and private study and private devotion to God, and we've made that the thing that shows up and supposed to magically produce spiritual maturity. The only problem with that, it's not biblical. So your quiet times are good, but if your quiet times replace your community times, we've got it all backwards. We've got it all backwards. When we don't read and study and pray and worship and serve in community, we end up seeing our our private kind of solo interpretation of things or our feelings of things or our perspectives of things as the only way. And it's very dangerous. And I saw that this year. We ended up shaping scripture with hobby horses and, and weird cultural perspectives. And we read scripture through cultural lenses and interpretations instead of ones that actually belong to the community of God and are rooted in the gospel. We saw all of that. So listen, you do misinterpret scripture. You do. Like you misinterpret scripture. And I do. That's why we need each other. So here's what I would say this year. Commit to community. Diversify your conversation partners. Like, like real people. Like flesh and blood people. Have better conversations with with a diversity of thought, the diversity of experiences. Diversify your bookshelf. Diversify your podcast and your YouTube and your socials, okay? Because if everyone you follow and listen to and read already agree with you and affirm all your views, you will not learn, you will not grow, and you will be stuck, okay? I'll leave J. Kim's quote in the Analog Church with you. This is a long quote, but listen to this. It's very important. It's gonna be up there. Follow along. And then we're gonna sing and we're gonna remember. We live in an impatient, shallow, and isolated culture. The idea of patiently journeying with a community of Jesus followers, doing the hard work of cultivating and excavating depth in our relationships with God and one another, and involving ourselves in the messy work of forging a meaningful community of diverse people doesn't seem like a very attractive option. And the digital age is at the ready offering a plethora of easier, quicker, shallower, more individualistic options. He goes on, we do not gift one another the allowance of being able to stumble, to hesitate, and to fall from time to time. We do not afford one another the grace of being helped back up to regather our thoughts, to reconsider our ideas, and to re-engage in dialogue. As a result, in order to protect ourselves, we have become clever. We've become skilled at making fast-paced, quick hit points and winning arguments. The problem is, meaningful community is forged slowly, over time, with much compromise and understanding. Healthy communities invite nuance and emphasize reflective responses over rash reactions. Real connections with real communities are realized only as we walk together down the path of wisdom, not cleverness. And he closes with this. This is where the church can and must step in to offer a new vision for what community can and should be. An alternative, transcendent space where unlikely people gather to listen and speak, to reflect and respond, to journey together for the long haul down the path of wisdom. It's a longie, but a goodie. 
That is a really important reminder for us. And that is my prayer and hope as we move into 2021. So here's what we're gonna do. The most important Ebenezer for us as a church, as a community, is communion. It's this constant reminder, it's this symbol with the bread and the cup of remembrance. And that's why when Paul spells it out, he actually says, we're gonna do this in remembrance, right? Jesus invites us to do it in remembrance of him and his work. And it hyperlinks us back to Deuteronomy. Here's a few examples of this, but in the Old Testament, the word remember, just like we see in 1 Samuel, is everywhere. And it's this key word that we're called to, to remember, to reconstruct, to put things together from our past, to refocus us and move forward. Watch this, a couple examples. Deuteronomy 7, 18. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh in Egypt and how I rescued you with a mighty arm. Deuteronomy 8.2, remember the whole way that the Lord has led you. Remember what he has already done 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Do you ever think that 2020 was that for you? I mean, it felt like 40 years, amen? Like that it was a year to actually humble you, not to be your best year yet, not for you to smash all your personal goals, but to humble you, but to teach you, but to discipline you. If we're open to that, imagine what God could do to actually take us and, and humble us and, and, and bring us into repentance so we can return fully to him in ways that we haven't before. And last example, Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God that he gives you the power to get wealth. Isn't that amazing if we remember that, that he's the one that gives you the power to get wealth. So church, listen, over and over, we're called to remember to remember, remember not to forget so that we can move forward. So this year, whatever they are, whatever Ebenezer stones you need to lay down, whatever Ebenezer stones we're gonna pray into and move into and and work towards and hope into as a church, whatever they are, do it prayerfully, do it cautiously, do it carefully. And even if 2021 is no different than 2020, we can be, we can be, and we can be it together. So before communion, we're gonna worship, we're gonna pray, we're gonna sing, we're gonna celebrate, And we're gonna just, I would invite you like today, like start, put down some Ebenezer stones to celebrate what is already true, what always has been and what always will be. But we're gonna start and we're gonna sing Come Thou Fount. I'm gonna share a couple of the lyrics so that they stand out to us when we sing them and celebrate them together. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Now here's the fun part, right? that we actually know what it means now. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Let's celebrate that this morning, let's pray into that. And especially as we worship and celebrate, let's celebrate that that is already true. And as we take communion, let's remind ourselves and remember that it is true and always will be. Let me pray for us to that end. Father, we thank you that we have real evidence that over the course of history, you haven't just stood back and just waited patiently for us to figure things out, but that you have come to us, you've pursued us, you've, you've wooed us, you've drawn us to you. So today I pray that this would be a time of repentance, a time of return, a time of just re-upping some of our commitments to you, re-evaluating some of the idols that are competing for our time and our energy and our life. 
and that we would be able to really put down some Ebenezer stones, really mark in the ground some of the ways that you have already been faithful and that that would propel us forward as we live into that faithfulness, as we trust you and obey you by remembering who you are and what you've done. We ask all these things in the only name that matters, in Jesus' name, amen.